Well, as we turn to the scripture this morning, uh, before you stand, I want to say our text this morning is Genesis 15, and it begins with these words, after these things. We don't have time for the after these things, okay? So this week, today, you may want to read through 12 through 14, very important passages, just not where the Lord has us this morning, okay? So I don't want to ignore that, but we won't be looking at those things, okay? So let's stand for the reading of God's word from Genesis 15. If you would, as, as we finish and we give thanks to God, don't close your Bible. Uh, we're going to look at this entire chapter. Don't be afraid. We're going to get through it. But please keep your scripture open always, but especially this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis 15. Here is hope. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it. He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring... I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word that we may be changed that we may hope in Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Please be seated. 
And in college, I majored in engineering. And one of the rites of passage for engineering students at the time was the bridge project. In this project, each student had to take the skills they were learning in the statics class and design and build a bridge. It was a very small bridge made of balsa wood and glue. And the goal was to suspend something like 20 pounds at the center of the bridge. And when it was your turn to test your bridge, every student had the same nervous question in their hearts. Will it hold? Will it hold? Well, the night before the suspension test came and my friend Chris and I met at my house to build our bridges. Though we had been warned multiple times in class not to build the bridge the night before, still, that was the plan we took. We had waited until the last minute. And after a long night of cutting and gluing and about six episodes of the X-Files, we finished our bridges. And as I stared at my masterpiece, I wondered to myself, will it hold? Well, it didn't. It it crumbled under the weight like an elephant uh, trying to stand on an aluminum can. Massive failure. But that question is one that we, we all ask, isn't it? Will it hold? You know, when my bridge crumbled, we had a good laugh about it in class. But some will-it-hold questions are more serious, aren't they? Around that same time, I was visiting Fall Creek Falls with some friends, and we were hiking uh, the trail that led to Cane Creek. And there's a, a swinging cable bridge over that creek. Some of you know the one. I remember thinking to myself, as I took my first step off land, You know, that moment when the weight transfers, I remember thinking to myself, will it hold? As far as I know, the the cable and planks over Cane Creek still stand. But you know, it really was a question of life and death, or at least wet and dry. Is the thing I am putting my hope in going to hold? But what about an even more important question this morning than toy bridges and swinging bridges? What about the promises of God? Will they hold? In our text this morning, God makes a promise to Abram. And though Abram responds in faith, he's still nagged by a question. How will I know? How will I know the promise will hold. And I believe some of us in the room this morning are asking this question of God. Will your promise really hold for me? Well, I'm sure you can guess what the answer is going to be. You've been to church before. But for a few minutes, let's look at Abram's experience and see what he goes through can address, see how it addresses our own questions. Again, keep your Bibles handy. The first thing we want to do this morning is just get inside this bizarre story. And it is bizarre, but it's beautiful. 
So let's walk through it together. Now, it's important at the outset to remember that this relationship between God and Abram, it began as a relationship of grace. Abram was not looking for God. God was looking for Abram. Not because he was holy or more righteous than the other moon worshipers or strong or rich. No, God called Abram because he called Abram. He loved Abram because he loved Abram. God loves you because he loves you and for no other reason. So the relationship between God and Abram was one of divine grace. And as we saw last week, God told Abram to leave his country, go out from his father's house to the land that he was going to show him. Verse 1, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And some say this could actually be translated from the Hebrew, I am your very great reward. Whichever translation is better, God is about to heap on more and more promise to what He has already promised Abram in chapter 12. But Abram's response is a bit surprising to me. I almost want to grab him by the shoulders and shake some sense into him. But Abram's more honest with God than we tend to be. Look at verse 2. But Abram said... O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then he gets even more bold. In fact, Abram's next statement seems almost accusatory, doesn't it? He says, Behold, you have given me no offspring. In chapter 12, God had promised to make Abram into a great nation. He had promised to give him the land of Canaan. And to his offspring. Yet Abram still had no child. His plan up to this point is to leave his vast riches. And and make no mistake, Abram was a rich man by the standards of the day. His plan is to leave the inheritance to a man that was probably his servant. And let me say it this way. Abram is essentially saying, I took care of the riches. I've got the herds and the gold. I took care of all that, God. The only thing I need from you is a child, and you haven't given it. But God has news for Abram, and it's big news. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And then God gives Abram an illustration. Don't you love it when a preacher gives an illustration? It's like a break. He takes him outside and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you can number them. So shall your offspring be. My promise is going to go so far beyond what you have imagined in your tiny little mind of an offspring. It's going to be so much bigger than that. You know, in the chronology of the the event, if you read it carefully, Abram shouldn't even have seen any stars. It's not even dark yet. But somehow in this vision that God is giving him, 
He's, he's shown Abram the vast array, all the starry hosts. He said, that's what your offspring are going to be like. It's going to be far more than you think. The word of God and the glory of the heavens captured the heart of Abram and something happened in that moment. He believed God. Old Abram, married to old barren Sarah, believed that God would bring his promise to fruition. Not only one seed, but a multitude of descendants would follow. And verse 6 says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's a whole sermon in that one verse and we're going to circle back, but let's keep moving. I hope for good reason. Have you ever been on a spiritual retreat or a conference or a summer camp and had some experience with God that seemed more real than what was back home? Has anyone ever experienced that? I think it's universal in the Christian life. These moments where the promises of God and God himself seems more real than he does on Monday. But then you come back to the real world and you start to wonder, what was that all about? What was that all about? I think that's sort of what happens to Abram here. You see, right after God has shown Abram the stars as an illustration of his promise, God repeats his promise from chapter 12. That Abram has been brought out to possess this land and by the will of God. And then Abram, who just moments prior was declared righteous as a response to his faith, this same Abram has his will at hold moment. Look at verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know? How am I to know that I shall possess it? Translation, how will I know your promise will hold? Now friends, there are other places in Scripture where people ask questions like this and it doesn't go so well. But here, God has a special patience and a grace for Abram. And he responds with a perfectly clear answer. Go get me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Perfectly clear. Now you may say, well, that doesn't sound perfectly clear to me. In fact, it sounds like a non sequitur. Abraham says, how can I know that the promise is going to hold? And God says, go get these specific animals. You know, I think actually Abraham knew exactly what he meant. God is about to cut a covenant with Abraham, with Abram, excuse me. And there's, it's hard to make a, an argument from silence. I'm going to tell you just why I think Abram knew what was going on. The first one's from archaeology. We know from boundless evidence that this is sort of how treaties were made. This is how covenants were made. Um, Two people who wanted to enter a treaty together, they would take an animal, cut it in half, or animals, lay the halves on the ground, and they would pass between the halves. And in passing between the halves, they would, they would say, if I don't keep my part of this deal, let this happen to me. Let me be ripped in two. If I fail to be faithful to my word in this manner, let me be torn asunder and my life forfeit just like these animals. But there's a second reason besides the custom of the time 
that I think maybe Abram had an idea of what was about to happen. Again, I'm on shaky footing here, like a swinging bridge. But look at verse 9. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Verse 10, and he, that is Abraham, brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he had not cut the birds in half. Last night I noticed something. As far as we know, God never told Abram to cut the animals in half and lay them in two rows. Now he could have. Perhaps Moses left this out of the account and that's fine. But it appears to me from the text that Abram knew exactly what to do. It was as if God said, bring me an onion, some zucchini, broccoli, snow peas, a cutting board, oil, a sharp knife, and a wok. Now what would we infer from that? God's making stir fry. And Abram starts chopping. And friends, chop he did. Chop, saw, hack, pull, break, and tear. God had requested animals for the cutting of a covenant. And Abram started cutting. Now, in the past, when I've read this scene in Scripture, my mind has gone back to the clean and tidy felt board Abram with perfectly cross-sectioned mammals lying in two neat, tidy rows. A friend recently cured me of that notion. He said, Abram was covered in blood. What he has just done is no small feat, and it is no clean operation. The aisle between the halves would have been drenched by the blood as he dragged the halves apart from one another. And it would be difficult for the parties of this type of cutting of a covenant to miss the imagery. If I fail to keep my word in regard to the promises that we have just made, I will be torn to shreds. There will be no recovery and no convalescence. No future for the one who breaks the covenant. I imagine Abram having finished his task, sitting down on a rock, catching his breath, wiping his brow, waiting for the next part to play. But as God often does, the Lord does something unexpected here. Verse 12, look at it. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And a dreadful and deep darkness fell upon him. Abram, exhausted and almost certainly drenched in blood, now falls into a deep sleep and a paralyzing state of fear. Now don't mistake the dreadful and great darkness the darkness that had set in is the darkness that comes when the sun sets. It's something else. The whole world around Abram is changing. There's a presence, but it's not an evil presence. This darkness is not evil. No, it's the exact opposite of that. God is coming near. 
And beginning, listen, beginning in Exodus 19, 17, we read these words. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke. Why? Because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And then after God gives the Ten Commandments, verse 21 reads, The people stood far off while Moses drew near to what? The thick darkness where God was. God's presence was manifested before the people at Sinai by smoke, fire, and a thick darkness. Friends, that is what Abram is about to see and experience. Back to verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, listen, behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Abram, more than in the vision, more than when God's word was coming to him in various ways, Abram was in the presence of God. And then God finally gets around to answering Abram's question. What question? The will it hold question. He asked back in verse 8, Oh Lord God, how am I to know I will possess it? God answers in verse 13. Look at the text. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. Don't you want to hear that from God? Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they, that is his descendants, They shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God's promise to Abram to make a great nation of him and to give him multitudes upon multitudes of offspring has now had some specifics added to it. This is new information. God is making the promise more clear and more sure for Abram. All this happened as God had declared it. Did you know that? If you know your Old Testament, everything God promised happened. And then God made the promise to Abram that he would die at a good old age. (laughs) Some of us were like, well, take or leave that one. That's a blessing too. God's opening statement in verse 13, it startles me, no For certain. That's what Abram wanted, right? Isn't that what he wanted? Certainty that God would do what he promised. Well, God's response is certainly confident. It's specific. And frankly, it's more than Abram asked for. It's more grace. More clarity. But is Abram any more certain yet? Maybe, maybe not. You see, the certainty comes in verse 17. Look at verses 17 and 18. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch 
pass between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Genesis chapter 15, verse 17, is one of the most hope-filled verses in all of Holy Scripture. Pastor R.C. Sproul once said, if he were ever thrown into prison and he could only have one verse in all of Scripture with him, it would be Genesis 15, 17. You say, as Abram lay helpless, God acted. I cannot put a fine point on Abram's emotional or psychological state, but in his stupor and slumber and fear, I believe he sees this theophany. This physical manifestation of the invisible God. I don't know if you've ever been to our church's annual burning of the trees. It is a sight to behold. <laughs> Probably illegal. Um, people arrive just as the sun is going down. Just like the scene with Abram. And the darkness, over the course of just a few minutes, the darkness sets in. And what you could see before, you can no longer see without the aid of a headlamp or an iPhone flashlight. And people on the field begin trying to navigate the darkness as that first evergreen is thrown on the fire. And the sky lights up in a majestic array of flickering. As Abram lay in the darkness, both physical and divine darkness, the Lord himself appears in the form of a smoking firepot and a flaming torch, just like Sinai. Smoke, fire, darkness, the presence of God. You see, the, the fire that we cause um, at the burning of the trees, it's a logical fire. It's an expected fire. It's an, it's, it might be an appropriate fire. Not this fire. I want you to imagine, if you can, if you haven't been to the burning of the trees, I'll make it more broad. Just imagine you're at a campsite, okay? And you and a friend or a spouse or a, a child and parent, two of you are sitting on either side of what's about to be your fire. You're expecting fire here, but over to the side, you notice something. All of a sudden, a flaming torch appears out of nowhere, and it hovers about six feet off the ground, held up by no human hand, and it begins to approach your sight. And as you as your, and your friends sit opposite one another, the, the torch hovering passes between the two of you. That's something like what Abram witnessed. Out of nowhere, a smoking pot, a flaming torch, the presence of God Himself passed between the two rows of torn flesh. Verse 18, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. 
Guys, this is how Abram knew for certain. God himself passed through the pieces. This was a great mercy and a great condescension on God's part. Listen, God need not make his word more sure. Did you know that? There's no reason God has to bolster the the veracity of his word. His word is true. This is a great mercy to Abram. You see, God cannot lie. His word should be enough, but he gave Abram a sign to remind him that his word is certain. As he passes through the pieces, God sent this clear message to Abram and to us. If I ever break my word, let me, the immortal God, if that were possible, be torn asunder, if that were possible. And as Dr. Sproul said, God cannot die and he cannot lie. Here God ties together three impossibilities. He cannot die He cannot lie, and His promise will never, ever fail to come to pass. Are you doubting God this morning? Are you asking a will-it-hold kind of question to Him? Are you concerned that that you may have taken some action, some sin that is so great that it could thwart the plan of God Now let's get real for a second. Have you thought of your last day? I don't care how old you are. Have you thought of your last day? Your last moments? Your last breath? The very last breath. Have you ever thought of that? In that moment, will the promise hold? Sprawl in the prison cell of your guilt, your shame, and your anxiety. Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, listen, pay attention. Don't miss this. God Himself passed between the pieces. When the great darkness of fear falls on you, when the great darkness of anxiety paralyzes you, when the great darkness of the shame and guilt of your past falls on you when the great and deep darkness of impending death, even that last breath, begins to surround you like a cloud. Remember this, God passed between the pieces. And rejoice that His word cannot be broken. That day God made a covenant with Abram and his offspring. You may say, yeah, but what good is that to me? What good is God's promise to Abram to me in those times? I want you to notice something about our text this morning. When God passes between the pieces, where is Abram? It's a covenant after all. Two parties. Two responsibilities. Blessings. Curses. Where is Abram? He's asleep. How much he understood in that moment, it's debatable. One thing is for certain, he was not an active participant in the ratification of this covenant. 
Now, there's much more to say about that. We'll get to it in future chapters. This morning, I want us to see the depth of hope, the depth of the hope for those in Christ in verse 17. The one who passed between the pieces. The ones who pass between between the pieces in a covenant, it's on them that the curses of the covenant breaking fall. If God breaks His word in the covenant, curses will fall on God Himself. If Abram breaks the covenant, the curses still fall on God. You just said, but Eric, you just told us it's impossible for God to die. How can God... Take the curse if Abram breaks the covenant. Because God did something else unexpected, didn't He? You see, there was another time in the Bible when a deep darkness fell on the earth where God acted in a covenantal way without the help or agreement of any man. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's from about noon to 3 p.m. An unexpected divine darkness. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out from the cross with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. You see, that day God made a covenant with Abram. And he took the potential of all the curse on himself. And to some extent, Abram did break the covenant. And so did his descendants. And so have we. And though Abram was called the man of faith, and so he was, he was also a sinner. And so are we. We have failed to walk blamelessly and perfectly before God. But on that day, God made a covenant with Abram. And in Jesus Christ, listen, in Jesus Christ, the one true offspring promised to Eve and Abram and the future king promised to David and the one Isaiah said was coming, this Jesus took on himself the curse for our covenant breaking. And the Apostle John records the words of that final cry that Jesus let out. It is finished. The covenant curses had fallen on God Himself in the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the earthly ministry of Jesus that was finished. It wasn't just His perfect, obedient life that was complete. It was not just His work on the cross that was done. No, the plan of salvation, the promise made to Abram was fulfilled. The curse curse taken, the death died. It is finished. And friends, this morning, if you are struggling, and I know we are, if you are struggling with fear and anxiety as to whether God will accept you, if you come to Him, know this for certain. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe it when I say it. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you have heard the gospel of forgiveness of sins and new life and a future in Jesus Christ and believed and embraced him, you have believed God and it has been credited to you as righteousness. The righteousness of Christ accredited to you. And the promise holds. But my faith seems so weak at times. I mean, I sin, I follow, I turn back, I fall, I get up, and I fall again. So did Abram. And yet, he is held up as a man of faith. You see, faith is receptivity. It's not a work of merit. It's a receptivity. It's a baby bird opening her mouth as her mother feeds. Abram's faith was not the righteousness. His faith was the the vessel through which the righteousness of Christ was applied to him. Hope in that. And so as you fear and recover, as you doubt and believe, as you struggle and fail and get up again, keep Believing God. Keep believing Him. Open your mouth to receive good gifts. Faith is a receptivity. Jesus Christ took the curse for you. But Eric, how can I know that the promise will hold for me? God gave you a sign to remind you. He gave you an illustration and he gives it to you every week. Luke 21, 20, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. In my blood. The promise, the promise in Jesus Christ will hold. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ was not an afterthought. It was not God's plan B in response to the plotting of evil men. It was the fulfillment of the covenant of grace promised to Abram, promised to Eve and Adam. The Bible says Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Friend, if you have believed God and trusted Jesus Christ, your sin cannot thwart the plan of God. What God starts, God completes. I close with this verse from Philippians. I am confident of this, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you He will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You keep on believing God. The promises of God always hold 
And every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Let this meal be a picture of you. Certainty that the promise holds. Let's pray. Father, you are good to your people. We were not looking for you and you found us. You love us because you love us. And you love us because of Christ. And Father, this morning I pray that many, many who have heard your word would be relieved of fear and anxiety and doubt. That they would see that their faith is a receptivity to you. That you do the work. You have accomplished salvation. It's the righteousness of Christ, not our own. And in that last breath, we will know, we will remember that you passed between the pieces. And that the curtain was torn in two. And the promise will hold. And we pray because of Christ.